Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. Cloverleaf Radio, I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon. And it's an absolute honor to welcome Dacre Stoker to the show. How are you, Dacre? Uh, well, thank you so much. It's my time of the year for sure, Jimmy. Yeah, it is. You, you've got, yeah, I guess technically less than a week now until the big day. Yeah, you know, my Irish heritage, you know, brings me back to the where it all started. You know, so when the celebration when the the veil between the physical world and the spiritual world is thin. You know, I, I, I constantly think back to my Irish roots, of course, Bram Stoker and Dracula, but also the, the whole idea of Halloween and uh, the harvest and all the rituals that go with it. It's a pretty cool time of the year. I mean, you're Irish, I'm Scottish. I consider those pretty close to each other, so <laughs> i good companies. Well, it's, since it is getting close to Halloween, if I remember what I read right, that was the time you found out about your famous relation. How did all that go down? That had to be uh, kind of a mind craziness for a bit. <laughs> well, you know, as a 12-year-old growing up in, in Montreal, Canada, uh, you know, it was, because you know, here I was relatively unsuspecting of, uh, you know, what was, what was sort of happening within the, you know, the family heritage, and people would come to the door going, oh... What's going to happen if we come to your house, you know, <laughs> trick or treat, or are you going to take our blood? And I'm going, what the heck are they talking about, Dad? And so he, he sort of said, well, well, son, it's it's time to tell you the truth about the family you know, history. So he brought me to the our library, and he pulled out a first edition book of Dracula that Bram signed to his mother. Now, just to put it in perspective, all these came our way. Because Bram Stoker's youngest brother George was was my great grandfather, so my dad's grandfather, and a lot of these books somehow made their way, you know, to, to George, who had a son that came to Canada at the end of World War One, and with that, you know, brought uh, obviously a lot of the family stories. And my dad and his brother, you know, over the years just collected stuff, letters, um, you know, books, all kinds of. You know, other correspondence that just kept coming in, and, and uh, one of his uncles was really interested in finding out, you know, exactly what George Stoker was about, what you know Tom Stoker was about, and how, and how they're connected to Bram, what they learn about all their connection. It seems that, you know, Bram was obviously the most famous one nowadays, but our our, our great grandfather actually invented ozone therapy. He was a real cutting edge doctor, and same with same with one of Bram's other brothers, Thornley Stoker. And, and Thornley Stoker actually helped Bram write Dracula. He did all the, the medical sides of Dracula. He did the, you know, the blood transfusions. He did the uh, operation, the brain trepanation operation on, on uh, Renfield. So it was, it was a real family affair, you know, getting that book written back in 1897. Wow. I love genealogy. I found out... Um... Some months ago, about my great great grandfather was in the Civil War. He was in the Oregon House of Representatives. Uh, just going back and being able to see that stuff is so neat. It, it is, you know, and, and as my wife and I chatted about this uh, probably about 12, 15 years ago, we thought, you know, when my, when my father passed away and his brother passed away, it's kind of the last of the generation that had really first hand knowledge of, of their grandfather and, and and you know linking back to to bram's generation so you know we better do something about it and, and that's when you know uncle patrick decided that jenny and i would be the keepers of the papers within the family and told us to come up to canada we did and i brought my scanner and extra suitcases and he loaded us up with stuff and he kind of said you know it, it's up to you guys to 
to learn about this and, and to stay in contact with your with the other relatives living in in Ireland and Scotland. And um, you know, luckily now we have the internet, so we can do a lot of correspondence and digging that way. But you know, Jimmy, nothing is better, and I've done it a few times. Uh, is it, head over to Ireland, visit these these people who are members of my family, who share blood with me. And uh, you know, talk about what we have in common, what what stories they have. It's it's just amazing, and I just feel this responsibility to keep it going to my children. And, and you know, I've now got one grandchild. He's only three, so he's not wow. going to get it yet. But you know, keep those links alive. Otherwise, it could be gone. And we've got a pretty cool legacy with Bram Stoker, and not just Dracula, but other things he's written, and all of his other brothers. It's worth it to keep it alive. Now, one of the issues I've noticed when you have a famous relative and you want to try to continue or do something with their legacy is you run into problems because these works are owned by someone, usually. And I feel like you had some of those issues with Dracula, too, and wanting to continue the legacy. What were some of the issues you ran into? How did you get over those, so to say? And what's it like getting to uh, continue a legacy of such an iconic character? Well, you're absolutely right. You know, the first thing you got to make sure is you're you're being supported by the family because this is not the case in our family, but I understand it is mm. in some other families of of famous you know, musicians, actors, and so on. As you get people in the family that you know see the dollar signs or the potential for dollar signs, and you know they say, "Oh no, he's not the one. The family should do this. It should be so and so or so and so." And then there becomes infighting. That's that's very counterproductive. That's not the case with us. Everybody is supportive. Bram actually does have two great grandsons still alive that are very supportive and, and feed me information. They, they've got boxes of stuff over in England that I, I use. But you are right that you know the fact that Dracula went into public domain in 1962, so anybody can publish a Dracula book. Um, you know the movie rights were sold a long time ago. Now they're back to being public domain. Wow. Um, but when I was you know looking in museums and things. Uh, because Bram's widow actually sold his notes and some of his other papers uh, to uh, book book dealers, they made their way to museums and they rightfully own part of the rights. Not all of the rights, but part of them. The intellectual property, maybe the words on those page pages are still within the Stoker family, but the paper itself. Uh, so essentially, you got to split everything. 50-50 if you're going to do something you might, I might have to pay them a little bit for it or if they give me the rights I say look if I make some money out of turning some of these words into something then you know we'll, we'll give you a licensing deal something like that so it, it is intricate and you do have to work with people like lawyers who I think always charge too much for this stuff but you know, they got to make a living and, it, and it's a complicated bit of you know, intellectual property law you got to adhere to but gen generally speaking uh, people in the literary world you know, since, since I'm not about to try to, you know, make a fortune off this, it's just trying to understand Bram, learn, you know, what he what he's all about. Read letters, read journals, some, you know, get get to all these places and different archives, museums around the world, and try to get a better understanding of what Bram left us. And then, to me, it's 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 you know the best way is to package it, and I've done it by writing two fictional novels, but they're historical-based fictional novels, you know, stuff that is, is based on reality, um, Dracula the Undead and uh, Dracul, two, two novels, one a, a sequel to Dracula, one a continue, and a, a prequel, I should say, 
they become international bestsellers. And another one I managed to get out um, was, is Bram Stoker's Lost Journal, which was actually a nonfiction. Uh, but I felt that was really important to get that out to the world. Um, you know, I've got I've got lots of other irons in the fire getting some of Bram's books again, public domain, so it doesn't cost me. Turn them into graphic novels, so it goes to a wider audience. So that's that's really my charge, Jimmy, is to to try to increase the exposure of the man who is you, you know well known for writing Dracula, but in some cases his creation actually overshadows the creator, and I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to get people to know as much about Bram Stoker as they do about Dracula itself. Yeah, it's got to be one thing to be like, I want to continue a legacy versus I want to try to make a bunch of money. Yeah, I mean, that, to me, making the money is not that important. It's not, it's nice to have it finance all my trips to do research, um, but that's, that's not the driving factor, and I'm not going to make a lot of money at it, honestly, but it, it is important, though, and, and I take this job seriously, you know, my wife and I run a website, bramstokerestate.com, uh, to, to get the facts out there. You know, not and it's not just Bram Stoker, it's his family. Who are these people? So when people want to do research on Bram, they want to write their own story. If they want to do a, a documentary, a docudrama, we can give them the right information. This is how, how Bram should be portrayed. So we become a clearinghouse or the authority within the family so everybody gets it right. Now, uh, being that he passed away in the 1890s, I mean, it, it's hard to think of what he would have thought of, like, Bela Lugosi or even uh, such a big resurrection with the character over the years. What, what do you think, uh, you know, his feelings would have been? It's, it's kind of hard to imagine, but uh, you may have a little more insight than I would. No, it, it's funny. I get asked that a lot. And, uh, you know, some of the purists go, oh, your great-granduncle would have thought that this version, that this adaptation is terrible, this... I say, hey, hold on a sec. Bram Stoker's prime job was he was a manager of the Lyceum Theater. And he was managing Sir Henry Irving, the most famous actor of his time. Bram would have probably sat back and, you know, had a big puff on his cigar or, a, you know, drink of his scotch and said, my God, I have just created, you know, something incredible that is going to outlive me. It's had a run. You know, it's about to be 125 years next year, Jimmy, that Bram Stoker, the 125th anniversary of him writing Dracula, and it's still going strong. People are still adapting it different ways, on stage, on screen, in comic books, in graphic novels, in stories, you know, so it's like, I think he would have been proud of it, you know, like, like any good theater manager, um, yeah, you look at Les Miserables and Cats and others, you know, those have had long runs, but I don't think anybody come close to 125 years, and plus, you know, Dracula is second only to Sherlock Holmes as a literary figure adapted to film, and film wasn't even invented, you know, when, when Brad died. Um, it, it didn't even hit the stage. So he would have been awful surprised. I think he's sitting up there somewhere, as I said, awful satisfied and pretty proud of his achievement. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, and, you know, like we said, you, we next week there's going to be so many kids and probably even adults dressed up like Dracula of some sort, so... It's it's definitely still a part of everyone's wheel well, and I don't think it's ever going to go away. It, it's not, and I think what's cool about it is that it keeps getting you know, reinvented in a way because the Dracula character doesn't have defined edges. You know, it, it has mysterious powers. Of course, it's rooted in the supernatural, and it's rooted in many 
different folklores around the world. It's, you know, it's, it's the dead and is the dead coming back to life. And it's, you know, that question of immortality. And so the edges are blurry about what defines it, you know, a, a, a bat, a, an owl, uh, a wolf, a rat, um, you know, a big black dog, you know, a, a, is, is it a handsome looking guy? Is it a, you know, ugly looking guy? Is it a female? You know, what is it? And, and so therefore it keeps getting uh, reimagined by different people and it's, it's somewhat believable. Um, there's so many incarnations of it. it it's, it's got a lot to go before it burns out. And uh, Robert Pattinson just proved that uh, a vampire can become Batman. So there's also that. <laughs> yeah, that, that is an interesting irony. I loved Batman when I was growing up, man. I loved that stuff. And to, and to see Pattinson you know, take on that role, I thought, oh, yeah. I kind of like the Batman role a little bit better than your Edward role with the sparkles. But nonetheless, <laughs> it may not be my thing, but it was yeah. certainly a lot of people were, were turned on by Twilight, kept a lot of people reading vampire stories and going to vampire movies, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, the vampire sparkles thing just made me giggle. <laughs> but I did think of a, a character who's been around a little longer, and that was uh, Fra uh, it was Frankenstein. That's definitely That's a legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, listen, Frankenstein was created about 80 years before Bram wrote Dracula. Um, but, you know, that that in itself was, you know, in the, in the early 1800s, that was that was science fiction. You know, that oh, yeah. was very Shelley with a very interesting take on, you know, sort of medicine at the time. You know, what could they do? She was an advanced thinker, as as was Bram. You know, Bram put a lot of advanced technology. And as, as I mentioned at the top of the, our talk, you know, a lot of uh, cutting-edge medicine and, and uh, you know, it, medical information into the story. So, you know, both those writers were, were pretty advanced at the time, and, and look where they are now. You know, those two stories are the greatest examples of Gothic literature, and they, are, they give people who read it to this day an idea to look in, you know, through a, a kind of horrifying lens into what was going on in society at that time, and both of them have stood the test of time, and they both, as you said, show up on costumes uh, and, and on cereal boxes and everything in between, especially around this time of the year. Oh, yeah. You can't go a Halloween without seeing Count Chocula. <laughs> <laughs> or Frankenberry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you're not just, uh, you're not just uh, a stoker, and you're not just uh, about vampires and whatnot you're also a former member of the canadians men pentathlon team which that didn't really tell me much unfortunately but you coached the team at the 1988 summer olympics in seoul south korea too what is that all about and what was it like getting to coach the team at the summer olympics well it, it was it was wonderful because i had uh, competed in the sport myself represented uh, canada in, in modern pentathlon which is running shooting swimming fencing and riding horses uh, i made the team in 1980 which was uh, a sadly an Olympic year that they were, the Olympics got boycotted by many countries uh, when they were being held in Moscow. And when I then started working as a teacher, I just couldn't train hard enough, but I could uh, devote myself to coaching, which was really, I think, my, my calling. And uh, I, I helped coach the ladies' team for a while, and then I got the assignment to coach the men's team and brought them to uh, Seoul, South Korea, in 88. And we actually had our best finish ever, uh, which was good for the Canadian team. We finished in the top 50% of the field as a team. And it was great. You know, it was, it was pretty cool to, you know, get a lifelong dream, you know, at least in that part of my, my life, fulfilled and helped my, my three buddies, um, you know, 
make their dream, get to the Olympics and do pretty well. So uh, that was pretty good. That's awesome. I always think in school when, when someone can accomplish a dream, but better yet, you know, you've done so much other things that it's really a great life you've lived. Yeah, and, and you know, I kind of take that same you know, motivation um, to, to coach, to push myself when, when it's like writing and researching and, you know, working within a team. I'm, I'm not a, you know, a trained uh, writer myself, so I, I usually work with a co-author, and that's very much like, you know, an athletic endeavor where you work within a team and you've got strengths and weaknesses. You both bring something to the table, lay it out there, and decide how you're going to you know, tackle the problem. And so those those years of uh, getting up awful early and staying up late and all the weird traveling around the world, uh, I'm doing stuff like that now, but just you know without all the athletic side of it. Now with a you know laptop and uh, and, and, and now a pair of glasses, you know, to help me read all the small print and everything else. That's very cool. And I, you know, I don't know why I didn't start the show like this, but I've been trying to start and ask people how they got through uh, the COVID problem. How were you able to get through it all right? And what did you, how did you kind of keep yourself busy with the, uh, with the quarantines and whatnot? Well, it's, it's a good question. I mean, it, it was, uh, it certainly put a dent into what I normally do, which is travel, uh, go to places where I mix appearances, where I do lectures uh, about you know, what I call Stoker on Stoker, the mysteries behind the, the writing and the research of Bram Stoker's Dracula. I do, do, and then I do my own research when I go to those places, and I finance it by doing these lectures, appearances at different conventions, uh, signing books, you know, doing that sort of thing. So the travel was definitely out, but I was, you know, back home where I lived in South Carolina, and I was doing an awful lot of uh, Zoom presentations where I mm -hmm. learned how to, the technology to, to put these uh, lectures with these images on a shared screen and talk to people around the world. Um, luckily, a lot of the resources that I need to research, I can get to on Google. It's just not as much fun to sit in your office and do it that way. Um, I did go a little stir crazy, but you know, still having that athletic side of me, I'd get out and, and, and ride on my mountain bike, go for jogs. I do still play tennis. So I needed to, you know, give myself those breaks because it's, it's awful hard. You know, being creative, if, if I don't get a sort of physical breaks at least at least once a day, sometimes twice. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of hunkered down to, to ride out the storm, and, and but it does feel nice. I've now been to three conventions uh, in Charlotte, Atlanta, and Fort Wayne, Indiana, you know, masked up, vaccined up, and uh, back to meeting people again. And, you know, people are pretty respectful of, of uh, the protocols, and so we get on with life uh, with whatever it throws you. Yeah, I wanted to mention um, the convention you did last weekend is how I found out about you because the promoter for the convention I did yesterday, Dark History and Horrorcom, Brian Ward, went to that and had shared pictures with you. And I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. I'm going to have to try to get a hold of him. But I yeah, think that, that would that, be a that good... That is fun, um, and I hope, to, I hope to be doing more. Um, you know, there's it really is sort of, pardon the pun, the lifeblood of our, of our horror writer. I feel when I get in, go to a convention, you know, and I get in the room and I give people my talk um, and I share with them, Jimmy, the, you know, the Bram Stoker's notes, the Dracula typescript, what I found where, what cool information is it, that I discovered somewhere and how I put that into a story. You know, people love that. They love you kind of pull back the curtain and see the story behind the story or the story of the, of the authors creating the story and then to go out and buy the book, which is obviously the nice, the nice end product. But it's also fun meeting people, listening to their stories, 
um, you know, tell, telling what they think of, of what I write, because that also helps. That goes in, you know, it goes in the brain, and when you get back to start writing again, you, you, you know, it's smart to listen to what people have to say, and that's it's good, good feedback and important for writers as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I have to talk to the promoter. I think Dark History Con would be cool uh for you and and your books and stuff because it, it delves a lot with true crime and horror and uh, all those fun um creepy things yeah i'd, I'd like to do that uh, next next year so you know october is always a busy time of the year and uh I, I normally have to sort of start planning it you know heck way back in the spring because you know everybody sort of wants you in october mm -hmm. if they've got dark history if they've got horror there's a lot going on, but um, no, I, I, that sounds like a good match for me as well. Yeah, that's why I'll make sure I'll mention it to Brian soon, so we just kick it in order, like, in the next couple months, and then we, we skip that crowd of people coming in. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but uh, what does the future hold for you, Dacre? It was really nice having you on the show today. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm, uh, you know, I'm working with uh, a good friend of mine up in Edmonton, uh, Chris McCauley. We're working on... Um, getting into the games market, you know, board games, uh, video games, electronic games, um, virtual reality games. Uh, I, I still, uh, you know, once the pandemic subsides and we can go traveling again, next year is 125th. And I've, I've got plans working with the travel company Experience Transylvania. I've been going there now for five years, taking people to see sites where Vlad the Impaler actually did his thing. Uh, as mm -hmm. well as the sites that Bram Stoker set his story, and also going to Cruden Bay, Scotland, where Bram actually wrote Dracula, um, and Whitby, England, where he got inspired to write chapters six, seven, and eight. So, you know, hitting the, ho hopefully hitting the Dracula trail, as I say, bringing people on tours, and if everything goes right, uh, I'm trying to pitch a, a documentary um, about Bram's writing and research that would, would take place in all those you know, places I just mentioned, Scotland, Whitby, Transylvania, and also Ireland, where the idea was, was hatched in Bram's young brain. Wow. Well, that's very cool. Sounds like you're keeping busy, and hopefully we're done with this uh, damn-demic, as I've heard it been called. <laughs> yeah. But um, thank you so very much for joining me, and um, enjoy the rest of your night. You're welcome. So you, your listeners can find me at uh, DakerStoker.com. I'm also active on Facebook. Or, as I mentioned earlier in the show, BramStokerEstate.com. You have a great evening and a safe and happy Halloween, you guys. Oh, absolutely. Enjoy your Halloween and, uh, yeah, stay safe and stay happy. <laughs> All right. Take care. All bye right. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. All righty, guys. Big thanks to Dacre Stoke. You're going to have to be sure and check out um, some of his books. And if you don't know the original Dracula or haven't, like, read the original book, you're going to have to be sure... Uh, and check that out because that's pretty historical and now being over well over a hundred years since it came out and still being um you know well read and <clears throat> the character being well used and well known it's uh, it's always interesting but uh you know i don't think I, I don't have any shows um coming up so we are gonna be back well i'll let you guys know when we come back actually <laughs> that's the best i could do i guess but uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.